0: what's up guys Cameron here hi it's Aaron hi it's Matt it's been a while since our last episode but we're back welcome to Tinseltown Thunderdome in this episode we'll be covering our favorite movies of 2022. we'll go around the group one by one and list our top three movies of the past year they must have been released in 2022 but before that I thought it would be fitting to do a brief recap of the year 2022 was a year of ups and downs for the film industry There were some incredible successes some depressing failures and surprises some of which were good and others not so great theaters are still struggling to find their footing again since the pandemic studios seem hesitant to release their movies and theaters unless they are guaranteed blockbusters historically superheroes were that guarantee especially when it came to the mcu however 2022 seemed to demonstrate a potential shift in the paradigm Superhero movies still had a strong showing this past year, but with Marvel's lackluster showings and DC canning movies completely and regrouping with new management and cast, could this be the beginning of the end for superhero domination? Aside from superheroes, there were some major hits. Top Gun's amazing success seemed to, if just briefly, reunite a divided nation. Avatar, uh, after Avatar 2, James Cameron seems to have officially proved all the doubters wrong again. Everything Everywhere All At Once was a little engine that could, racking up an impressive $73 million domestically, making it the largest domestic movie in A24's history. And it doesn't stop there for A24. This was easily their biggest year to date, with 18 Oscar nominations across six movies, not to mention hits like X and Pearl, which sadly were ignored by the Academy. Horror remains a stalwart for box office success with titles like Megan, Smile, Nope, Scream, and Barbarian, just to name a few. This was also a year of some unusual patterns. Vomiting of all things had its moment to shine being quite prominent in several movies, most notably in the triangle of sadness. Also shockingly donkeys played a major role in multiple movies. Poor Jenny. And this was a year of filmmakers making movies about their childhoods. Spielberg's The Fablemans and James Gray's Armageddon Time are just a couple. IP-driven content still seems to be king, however. But are we seeing a resurgence of star power? Uh, Movies like Ticket to Paradise, Woman King, The Lost City, and just Tom Cruise hype in general seem to indicate a possible resurgence but who knows? What did you guys think of this past year?
1: Well, thanks for taking us on that trip down memory lane. Um, I've seen about half the movies you mentioned. Um, I think that, that resonates with what, what I hear people talking about, what I've experienced. Um, a question sort of I had is um, in a time where we have really few shared experiences when it comes to film and TV in the post Game of Thrones era, there, there were, there's at least one movie that sticks out in my mind that a lot of people talked about just I heard people talking about our work or at, you know, my kids' things, um, you know, baseball or whatever. Um, and that was uh the Glass Glass Onion, um, Knives Out. And I and I don't know I'm wondering what you think. Why why is that and it was did you encounter that as kind of something everybody saw or were there other movies like that? I think for Glass Onion, maybe it's Star Power, but I don't know. That's just one theme that stuck with me from the year. Very sh- few fair- shared experiences besides Top Gun and Glass Onion. I'm wondering what that's about, what that's about.
0: I mean, I think the two obvious answers are, or the two things that people have been discussing most is the domination of TV shows. And I think the collective conversation is definitely present there where it used to be with movies, say 10 years ago, maybe even three years ago before the pandemic and then theaters. We're not really seeing the movies in the same way. We still are all seeing, you know, everyone's seeing Glass Onion together basically at the same time, like in theaters. But maybe seeing a movie from our couch is not stirring up the same conversation as, you know, physically being in person with a group of people in a theater and being able to immediately discuss it. I don't know. I'm going to call
2: 2022 the uh, COVID hangover year. Do you, do you, it feels, do you have COVID? <laughs> <huh>? <laughs> I, I, it feels to me, I, I, I could, who knows. I, I feel like I've had it a few times. The, the year felt strange to me. It felt strange for movies. It felt strange for TV. It felt like a transition year. It felt like a year that I didn't really know where to hitch my wagon. Like I, I didn't, I, I'm I'm typically a movie guy. I think for me, I wanted to feel like I could go to the movie theater and revel in that experience. And I couldn't. There were moments where I literally couldn't go to the movie theater. And then when I could, it was stilted. It didn't feel like it used to feel to go to the movie theater and have a packed house to see a movie in the way I wanted to see it. And I feel like, that had an impact on the overall feel of movies that year. Even if the movies didn't explicitly cover COVID, they seemed to cover social dysfunction and political dysfunction. And that was part of this COVID hangover for me. And a lot of the movies just seemed to be exploring something about society that was off. So all the movies that were great to me were on that vibe. They were like, something's wrong. Even if we can't put our finger fully on it, we gotta explore this. And those are the movies that resonated with me.
1: And I think that transition that makes sense. It's like you know, 2020 was a great disruption. And then this past year sort of asked the question, 2022 what? I guess we'll find Yeah, out.
2: yeah
0: I agree. I still think we're in the the re I don't know what you want to call it the regrouping phase where we're trying to get our footing again or the film industry is trying to get their footing again with you know the changing dynamics with streaming like maybe they're not putting all their chips in that basket again Uh, maybe they're trying to get back into the theater game but I think it will steadily grow but probably never be at where it once was. And I think, hopefully, in 2023, there will be more movies in theaters. I just think there weren't a lot of movies being released in theaters, Um, and that, that is a real bummer. But okay, I think this is a good time to just get into our rankings of the past year. So the way we'll do this is we'll go around one at a time. I will start with my number three, and we will just go in a circle going down each ranking. If we have anything shared, call it out when it's your turn. And that's pretty much it. So I will, I'll start it off. My number three movie is Tar. I think this is the most sophisticated movie of the year. Was it my favorite? No. It was incredibly sophisticated though in both craft and story. I, the things that I think have to be highlighted about the movie are Cate Blanchett's performance, which was just out of this world. And the movie explored some really topical issues as well as more universal subjects in a really, really powerful way without it seeming gimmicky or pandering. And it really pushed the envelope. Now, I understand you guys have not seen it. Not, right? I have not seen Tar. Okay, so yes. I will not spoil anything for you guys or the listeners. Thank you, sir. But yeah, but you guys need to go see this movie. I would put this at the top of your lists. It should be number one on your queue for movies of from 2022. It is amazing. Um, I think it is. It's going to be that movie which we see pretty much every year that goes overlooked and upon review as the years go by will be seen as like the masterpiece of that year. That's high praise.
1: I may show <clears throat> I might show it the six bucks. I think it's, yeah, I want to watch it.
2: Todd Field. Can I, can I, can I ask a question about Todd Field? Yeah. Wheelfield. will so that question. we've talked a fair amount about him now off, uh, offline on, on the subject. I think He's an actor first, director second, right? Basically, yeah. But this movie strikes me as like extremely auteurish. Well, his all of his movies have been. I, I respect that, but it's 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 unusual. It doesn't normally go that way, where you have an actor who seems to find excellence as an auteur director. I mean, this guy's been in lots of movies. Todd Field is is an accomplished actor, and yet suddenly, he has seemed to have created a movie that is like I don't know. It's like a a, a vessel for for artistic, like pushing the envelope artistically in a way that that you would expect from someone who is who is specifically an auteur director. Just that's just my sure. impressions from. The the trailers and from the 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 you know critics I've read, but Aaron, you haven't seen in the bedroom or Little Children, right? No, I, I, I yeah. admittedly I haven't seen anything by Todd Field, so I, I'm. But my point is just that it seems that rarely do you have a director who spent the early part of their career as an actor pushing the envelope artistically in films. I think I often find. Uh, di- directors who were first actors amazing at the craftsmanship, like a, you know, whether it's a Clint Eastwood or a Mel Gibson or a Ben Affleck, it's like, they understand the tools of the trade and how to make a movie that's well oiled. And, and, and there's not any kind of friction along the, the storytelling lines, but to push the envelope creatively, which I can see very evidently from the trailer Tar is doing seems special
1: I mean I think I mean I just watched in the bedroom because of tar and I, I haven't seen tar yet it's shorter um little children I'd seen years ago those movies are both I mean or tour films I mean they are they in the bedroom could have won best picture and was nominated if I'm not mistaken so I, I think from my, my, my take on it is not so much that it's out of nowhere in that regard but why? Why nearly twenty years passing between Little Children? I mean, nearly twenty years. You know, between fifteen and twenty years passing before he did it again. When he kind of struck gold twice, Little Children fell short a little bit of of the hype and wasn't as as good as in the bedroom, in my view. But they're both like master. I don't. I don't know if it, because be, maybe on the set of a Kubrick film, he just sort of, you know
0: absorbed the mastery. But I think what's even more unusual is that not only is he, for all intents and purposes, an actor first, and then has become an an amazing auteur, as Aaron said, and then Matt, you hit on the fact that he's not putting out a lot of movies, and then, apparently just this week, I don't know if you guys saw this in the trades, but he might be calling it quits. This (laughs) might be his last movie and it's just like dude we we want so much more from you and you seem to have a lot to offer now this could be one of the situations where in 10 years he comes back with another masterpiece but he just is he is not following any semblance of familiar career trajectory
1: he had that crazy series of nights with tom cruise in new york city (laughs) and lies wide shut and then uh Maybe they hatched a plan. I, fe- I feel like they should reunite in a Todd Field Could you film. imagine if they reunited? If they reunited that and be- that was Tom Cruise's Oscar.
0: Well, we have been talking about doing a podcast where we put forth yeah. our like dream scenarios of filmmakers and actors and whatnot. So maybe you should save that for that I mean, one. Given
1: his role in Eyes Wide Shut, I feel like maybe there's so few movies, if you put them together, you will discover where the Illuminati is orchestrating everything from and what what, what crazy things will happen next. I feel like Todd Fields tapped into that mystic conspiracy route.
0: That would be kind of cool if he did some like, kind of what PTA did with Tom Cruise with Magnolia, yeah. <laughs> where he kind of taps into Tom Cruise's, and what Kubrick did in Eyes Wide Shut, kind of just base a movie off of his persona. That would be kind of wild. But okay, let's move on, Aaron. What do you got for your number three?
2: Yeah, number three. It's it's Avatar for me, The Way of
0: Water. I believe that's your number three too. Is that right? Uh, yeah,
1: I was I was just I was not going to cut the man off. That's also my number oh, three. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> We're all friends here. Yeah, that, that's also my number three.
2: I'll be blunt. I couldn't believe James Cameron pulled it off. I thought for sure this was going to be. Uh, less impressive than the first avatar. And if anything, just a rehash and, and it was, (laughs) (laughs) except that it was more impressive than the first avatar. So it was a rehash in a way it like, it felt um, visually similar, but more spectacular. And then it felt from a story perspective, similar but more impressive, so it 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 took what I thought was a very mediocre first movie plot and improved upon it, and it took what was an exceptional first movie set of visuals and exceeded it, which I, I just couldn't believe was possible. I, I thought I thought yeah there'd be some incremental improvements, but I saw this in 3d and it was well worth that experience it was visually stunning i saw with my kids who i think it was like a life-changing moment for them of like holy cow this is like an amusement park ride this is not like a movie this is i would have loved to been their age seeing this movie yeah so um I, i i all of that said, it's not my number one movie. So clearly I'm, I'm being effusive, but I'm effusive mainly because it reinvigorated the blockbuster for me. It made me feel like movies could be um, something that brought in a massive audience. I went home after I saw the movie and I texted a bunch of people and I'm like, go to the movie theater and watch this movie. Don't wait till it comes to streaming. That would be a real missed opportunity. You need to see this movie in the theater. It's not the best movie of the year, but it's a movie you got to see in the theater, and that felt good. That that that's not something I'd done in a long time, and James Cameron did that. Uh,
1: yeah, I, mean, I I fully agree with everything you say. Um, as much as it pains me to say that, um, it's uh,
2: <laughs> I, I had similar
1: expectations. I was like, oh, Avatar's. Ca-. I'm like kind of distantly curious about how James Cameron's going to set up you know, three more movies or, you know, how, how's he going to expand on this? You know, the first, again, visually spectacular, but the, the original story, it's okay. The family dynamic to this, I thought really opened up a whole new world in the beginning of the film. I was skeptical. I was skeptical probably through the first 15, 20 minutes, not, not of the visuals. I mean, the visuals right away, it's just mind blowing, but he started to develop these these uh, these other characters um the children and, and it just um and then the plot complicates more than i was expecting um when like you know i'll just say the antagonist or ta- antagonist is similar to the first one um so i was very skeptical when that was unveiled early on
0: but he managed to complicate I think it. We can, I think we can spoil if you want. Yeah. we've all seen it, and sure, I don't think we need to hide. No, I just say well, you know when it's, they it's when they bring back
1: you know the sort of stock marine antagonist, um, and you know in different form. I was like, oh, you know, I don't know, but I think the you know by the end of the movie, I, not by the end of the movie, but I mean twenty five minutes of the movie, I was hooked and and part of it, and I went in the movie I was like, oh, this is long. How am I gonna, you know? titanic length um but you know he it's many years past titanic you know 25 years later or can he do it again he has done it again a bunch of times can he do avatar again again i guess i'll go oh I, i went home and told everyone to see it i i without exception i recommended this movie to 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 anyone um but again not the best movie of the year but it's but really good and uh that along with top gun i think those are blockbusters where where people were excited to go to the movies. I was excited
2: to send people to the movies and felt good. I just had a bit of an epiphany. The Jermaine Clement character was to Avatar the Way of Water what Benicio del Toro was to Ryan Johnson's yeah. Star Wars flick. He was this like conflicted character that really um was understated but like kind of did it for me like without that character it was very binary but that character created this kind of complexity and subtlety to the the plot and to the 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 um the ethical quality of the plot that made me feel good i'm like yeah that's a human well and (laughs) that's a person
0: i hope they bring him back that's the question how much like
2: (laughs) benicio del toro in in the
1: the star wars (laughs) 789 is it I, i think unless james cameron changes himself out for um a lesser hand as happened with star wars i think um i think he'll probably come back
0: I hope so. I mean, he brought back a lot of the people in from the first movie that I didn't think he would really <laughs> waste his time with. I mean, it, granted a lot of those humans were, uh, brought, I'm saying humans cause they were, <laughs> it's important to distinguish what they were in the movie. Um, but they were brought back just momentarily, but it still was like nice to see them back. Um, nice to see that he gave them a chance to have their moment again. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, why is it that we keep doubting him? Why do y'all think that is? <laughs>
1: what? When was the last time he disappointed? I mean,
2: I, I didn't see the
0: I saying. didn't see
1: the
2: abyss, but I, I hear the, I, I haven't heard like amazing things I, about that. I have, I have a theory about this. So I think the reason why James Cameron is perpetually on the chopping block is that he spends an inordinate amount of time between movies developing his next thing and an, an, outrageous amount of money on each project. And so there is a kind of short seller mentality to James Cameron where society's like, surely he's going to fuck it up this time. Yeah. Like there's no way he can have a perfect track record. And I remember as a kid, the, the hype around Titanic being we know what happens, right? Well, how can we? Well, that was why, why we my view. That was my that? view too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But 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 the reality was, James Cameron took an, a a story that obviously has massive appeal, and he made it into this this um, emotional, uh, crowd pleasing blockbuster with all the special fe- effects as a background or as a backdrop to these like beautiful people experiencing this this you know is Leonardo DiCaprio
0: younger than Kate Winslet by the way got to be right i think so i think i think they're like about the same age like okay, i think they're well, within like 5 years of each other fair enough anyway i it
2: just it, i just always remember thinking
0: is there a
2: cradle robbing thing going on here like i am <laughs> he does <laughs> seem a ju- lot younger than her uh,
0: you're right um, but you know, it, that isn't a knock on Kate Winslet. She looks great, and she's very youthful. She's amazing. She Probably does my favorite seem actress. more mature than him. That's a better yes. way to put it.
2: <laughs> I, I just think it's a is a really exceptional film that had so many doubters, and for good reason. I mean, the guy spent an outrageous amount of money, and and yet it's funny because I think James Cameron, he like he he builds the hype by. Going crazy on the budget, going crazy on the concept. You're like, holy shit, this like this concept is like something we've never seen before, or it's something that we completely think is ridiculous and, and over the top. And then he delivers over and over again. But it makes sense that you'd have doubters, right? Like if he suddenly said he was gonna do the Doug Lyman film where he films Tom Cruise in space, I wouldn't be surprised, right? Like that's a James Cameron kind of kind of shoot for the stars. I'm going to actually take a camera into outer space and film something. Right. I would, I would not. I'm going to go to
0: Jupiter and film on Jupiter. Well,
2: he did. I mean, he went to the bottom (laughs) of the
1: sea. I mean, that's part of what he was doing between avatar and avatar Two. He,
0: he is. I think there are very few directors who have mastered the ability to have intimate characters within a massive spectacle of a story and a massive spe- spectacle of a movie. There are very, very few people who can do that um, and do that well. So yeah, Avatar 2 is amazing, go see it. And it really movie,
1: is, it, I just had to say one thing. When, when, I was just looking at his filmography again. Um, I have not seen Piranha 2 and I've not seen The Abyss, um, but probably- in,
2: Sorry, did you say Piranha,
0: Piranha 2? Piranha 2 is his first movie. That was his first movie, movie. yeah.
2: Okay, so he's always also not seen He's that.
1: always known the way of water. I, so yeah, <laughs>
2: he has always known the way of. water. No, I think he's just Jesus he's at home filming water. with water. Don't forget Titanic. But
1: every single film of his, if you like, again, you had GPT four or whatever make a film, it would be it would be Avatar 2. Like it's the, like the sum of all his past films, but something new. I mean, but like there's an element. I'm watching. I was like, this feels like Aliens right now this definitely feels like titanic when the boat is flooding it's like and and you know so again piranha 2 probably has its moment too
0: yeah he, i feel like avatar 2 is kind of a culmination of his greatest hits yes in a exactly um and like there's like little bits of all of his movies in avatar 2 and it works like it I, it's never noticeable um you just have the feeling yeah. like you i do want to say that james
2: cameron's best film in my view is the first terminator
0: the first over yeah. t2 yeah wow i just think I it feel was like that's it a was, hot
2: take it may be a hot take i just feel like that movie was pure brilliance well, it's it's on every i think level.
1: it's raw and gritty I, I think i actually agree though
2: t wow. but t2
1: was it's it wasn't as much of a ramp-up as Avatar... Wait, no. It was more of a ramp-up than...
2: Is this the Godfather versus Godfather 2
0: kind of dynamic? Kind of, but... I, I Maybe. I just don't see... So there's the Godfather and Godfather 2 debate, and then there's, of course, Cameron's involved in another famous debate between Alien and Aliens. And that is very divisive. But I don't really hear a lot of people saying they like... Terminator over Terminator for me. 2.
1: Alien, Alien over Aliens any day.
0: Right, but that's like a known debate. I've never heard a debate of a Terminator, so that's why I thought it was a hot take, and I like the take. I don't agree with it, but it, Terminator is amazing. I I love the kind of the the definitely the gritty. You can kind of see the the low budget on screen, but in a charming way. I found it weird. was awesome at the time. I'm sure. The bar scene. Oh yes, the bar scene is good. Terrifying.
1: I, I watched it pretty young, and I, I was terrified the whole movie in a good way. Terminator 2, I yeah. was never scared. Yeah. It was bloody parts. That may be, yeah. that may be yeah. it.
2: It may be, it may be that as a child, I consumed Terminator, and it was one of the most shocking things I'd ever seen in my life. And being under 10 years old... <laughs> Watching that movie was formative in ways I still let me retain. say
1: let me say this though I I think I saw Terminator when I was like fourteen, and I saw Terminator Two when I was sixteen or so. So I mean, this doesn't prove it, but I don't think in those two years I suddenly you know got a thick skin. I I think it is more terrifying because of the grittiness. Terminator Two has a lot more humor and like blockbuster scenes uh, this is a little more Michael Bay about it um, I know that, I don't mean that as a like a whoa <laughs> yeah I mean a, sorry sorry it's a, <laughs> but I mean there's, there's like this you know like later later okay let me, let me put it a different way it has a little more true lies about it a little more
0: true lies about it's it. more action yeah. driven sorry sorry the first movie Bay. seems a little more like noirish yes, and a little darker, very dark, a little very scarier noir. Yeah. Pitch, pitch noir we, we have to push forward um, My number two is a movie that is not on y'all's lists. And another movie that y'all have, neither of you have seen, right? No, Aaron, have you seen this? I haven't seen so, it, but my kids have. Right. So my number two, <laughs> great start. <laughs> so <laughs> my number two is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I never saw the first Puss in Boots movie. To take it even further than that the last shrek universe movie i i saw was shrek 2. i didn't give up on the series but i definitely just like turned off at that point i never watched any of the other shrek movies they just never appealed to me they seemed kind of like b movies like you remember when disney would make a sequel to a movie and it was Aladdin 2, The Little Mermaid right. two. And it, was, it wasn't like a wide release. It was like a straight weird to video. format. Straight video. video. Right. Those are called, those and, are called um, VHS tapes. Yeah. Straight, straight to VHS. <laughs> right, right. Um, it, those movies kind of felt like that, even though they weren't. They made tons of money. But anyway, point being, I came into this like pretty cold. I knew Who Puts in Boots was as a character. That's it. And you did also
2: go into that, meaning you decided actively, I'm going to watch Puss in Boots at the theater, which is is a thing. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, <laughs> you've decided yes. you were going to go watch a children's movie at the theater. <laughs> right. I was Which the- was like a fifth film in... It's more than fifth,
1: if you're counting
0: Shrek disconnected movies, disconnected
2: from what you, yeah, disconnected from what you had been watching.
0: Yeah. Now, okay, so in LA, it's different because people of all ages are there. But here in Louisiana, I was definitely <laughs> the oldest person in the movie theater, other than small children and the parents watching them. And you know what the <laughs> parents were thinking? <laughs> well, well, I can tell you this. Aside from the sure. weird thoughts at the beginning. <laughs> they were enthralled because man, that movie is good. Puss in Boots is incredible. Again, I like had zero expectations going into this movie. The only reason I really saw it was because a friend of mine who I trust gave me a very, very strong recommendation. Um, and he knows that I have impeccable taste, (laughs) Impeccable taste, but like (laughs) I pretty much compare I, I, I don't know. I just I feel like I have fairly high standards when it comes to animation. Anyway, I went into this with very low expectations and it just blew me away. The movie was shockingly deep. It was incredibly moving. I was like almost brought to tears at the end of it. I won't spoil anything, of course, because you all haven't seen it. But it is surprisingly moving. And I say that because... It's within the shrek universe and that's not what the shrek movies are like the shrek movies have an emotional through line but it's really just it's you're really going for the action comedy of those movies and i was just floored i the and i guess the last thing i'll say is the animation was amazing i haven't really seen anything like it 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 was very reminiscent of uh classic western movies in how it like integrated a lot of its transitions between scenes it would have like double exposures the music was very reminiscent of a western i mean when you see it you'll see like it's just it's a western movie mm-hmm. set in the puss in boots universe but i mean amazing it, it it's probably one of my favorite animations of all time. Um, I, oh. I, I will say I think it should have won should have won best animated movie of the year. And that's saying something because I loved Turning Red and I thought Turning Red should have beat Pinocchio. But then I saw Puss in Boots and I was like, oh my God, Puss in Boots has this hands down in my humble opinion, but not in the opinion of the Academy. Um, I, I, I will say that
2: I sent my kids with my father-in-law to see this movie and when he brought them back i i had already heard from you that it was a very impressive film and without saying that to him i asked what did you think my father-in-law's name is tom and i said tom you know what was your what was your feeling about this film he's like had a very profound thematic conclusion i think it's worth your watching
0: so, so his way of saying he cried, his yeah. eyes out. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> couldn't sleep the next <laughs> night, pool in front of the grandkids, and my kids
2: were very impressed with the film, and seemed to understand that it was profound. Like they were like, it had a, lot, a very very good message. Like they said that to me over and over again. Now I I didn't, you know, sort of pry that message out of them but they, they did seem to keep repeating that it was like it was this is a big this is an important message i'm like oh okay and they don't always say that i mean they go to movies all the time and you know sonic the hedgehog 2 didn't have an important message for them <laughs> right. so it's interesting i'm trying to look at what
1: might have been the secret sauce i mean the the animation wise the director is to have, have a long history uh, of, of films that you know I don't know, may, may, major, but not you know, like not 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 necessarily award nominated films, but they've they've done a lot of animated films. But then the writing team, there are a couple outliers. In the, it seems like about four people were involved, or at least given credit for the, the script, and you have a couple usual suspects, and then you have um, this guy who was an actor in a lot of '80s movies, including Child's Play. And um, I think his name is Tom Sverdlow. And he also wrote a few random... Nah, sorry, that's disrespectful to whatever these films are. But Tommy Svartolo wrote, like, Snow Dogs. I think it was Cuba Gooding Jr. Just kind Good of...
0: Good movie, actually.
1: Uh, see, I haven't seen it. So, I mean, it, it, this is someone who's not in the animated circuit. It's he was not an animated. actor in Howard it's the Duck.
0: What's that? It's actually not animated. It's a it's a live-action no no no, 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 that's, yeah, that's yeah, my point yeah, yeah.
1: is he does not, this is not a writer of animated films.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Um, he was an actor who appeared in Spaceballs and Hamburger Hill. The, to go back to the Todd Field thing, this was like a, a bit actor in like screwball 80s movies. And then most recently he wrote the Screepa for the Grinch. But before that, he was he were like bushwhacked. He, he wrote, most notably, Cool Runnings. So he's mm. he's into the snow and ice. But then you also have a guy who contributed, Ethan Cohen, who's the screenwriter who wrote the screenplay with Mike Judge for Idiocracy. Mm. So, wow, there's a all couple like, uh, you know, mature sort of wild cards in that mix. So I don't know if that was a secret sauce or or if um, these these regulars just struck
0: gold this time. I don't know. I don't know. I, all I can, I mean, I feel like a broken record, and I feel like at this point it's such a cliche to say, but time and time again I see these animated animated movies and not only do I love the fact that Guillermo del Toro said that in his speech when Pinocchio won that people who dismiss animation should not and that they should take it seriously Puss in Boots is one of those mini animated movies where for all intents and purposes, it is designed for people teenage and up. And it, it checks off the younger, anyone younger than that, with, you know, funny lines that they can understand, uh, pretty colors, funny action, slapstick humor. Of course, there are p- kids. I don't want to denigrate any kids that understand at a pretty high level. My point is just that. I think as you're getting at, Matt, people who make a wide variety of movies, some of which are very adult, are being drawn to animation and are imbuing more adult themes. And we're starting to get more and more of that. And it's not just Pixar. Aaron, what you got for your number two?
2: All right. For number two, I, I have a film that I feel was appreciated outside the United States and underappreciated inside the United States. And that's triangle of sadness. Are you too good for your country? Um, I understand completely why it didn't resonate with an American audience in the way it would with a non-American audience. Because the film is... I mean, it's very much... A film that dabbles in social hierarchy and does so in a way. Dabbles is not the right word. It dives into the social hierarchy in a way that's like uncomfortable for Americans because it 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 feels like a um, it, it feels as if it's endorsing socialism and endorsing this kind of. Um, sense that there was this colonial baggage that needs to be rectified and yet it does so without being pedantic it 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 lets the audience sort of just watch this train wreck occur and in this case a shipwreck <laughs> occur in a way that is um in, um endlessly appealing you, you can't stop watching. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the director's name. Ursland, I'm sure, is what it actually is. But um, Ruben, I'll just say Ostland since I'm, I'm American. But um, this guy put together a film that doesn't let go of the audience and perpetually sends you in, in a different direction. Like you start this film, almost thinking it's like a a, a, a spoof of Zoolander. Like you're like what? <laughs> Wait, a spoof like, of Zoolander? Yes, that is it is. That's a, really crazy. That's sounding. what I'm saying, right? Like it's it's like it's almost like if you took Zoolander and tried to turn it into a realistic scenario, and you put this this these models into this kind of. Well, how do we? How do we? Maybe "spoof" is not the right word. How do we retrofit Zoolander into something that's that's realistic? And that's what it felt like. I was like, "Holy crap!" Like, I am watching this like deconstructed Zoolander that is um, about models and and their like real life experiences. <laughs> and I was like, "This is I can't watch this." I, I really was going to turn it off. And and to be fair, I have watched one of the director's other films, the square about, uh, you know, 50% of that movie I've seen. And then I stopped because I just, I felt like it was rambling. It's like, and this is going to be another one of these rambling films. And I don't feel like I want to watch it. Maybe the square has an amazing payoff at the end. And I probably will watch the rest of it at some point, but I, I haven't been able to pull myself, uh, you know, sort of get back into that vibe. This film had such an amazing amazing payoff and it was definitely rambling but rambling in all the right ways. it took you on a journey and that journey was um, philosophical it was conflictual it was uh, viscerally grotesque I you, you mean there's like a there's like the scene where everyone everyone vomit. is vomiting I yeah. mean it is like a is a vomit fest. And, and, and yet you understand why that's happening and you understand how that plays into this, this, this storyline. It is magnificent. It tackles all kinds of crazy, uncomfortable topics in ways that are personal and meaningful and yet expansive and, and, and socially important. So I, I thought this film was, was, um, it, it could have been my number one if my number wasn't,
0: wasn't okay. my number one. Oh, I like, oh. That. I like oh. that wrinkle. Yeah. Huh? So, Matt, have you seen Triangle of Sadness?
1: No, I haven't. Um,
0: I'd I, okay. I, I like to at some point. I just haven't gotten around to it. Two movies that came out basically doing um, the same thing in terms of classism, exploration. Um, and the other movie is The Menu. And I know off mic, we talked about the menu quite extensively yeah. with, with varying um, degrees of appreciation or in criticism of that movie. I will say I was not a fan of the menu. Um, I was pretty out on it, but I liked Triangle of Sadness a lot more than the menu. I will say I had a lot of problems with it, though. All of his movies, Force Majeure is my favorite that he's made, so I highly recommend that. But The Square, I agree, felt rambling, it felt very disjointed, it didn't really have like a strong driving force. Because all of his movies are like very heavily character pieces, They're, they're character explorations. This one actually had a lot of plot to it. And that's saying something because there's not much plot in this movie, but both the menu and Triangle of Sadness, I don't, maybe it's just I'm comparing it to Parasite, which came out Mm -hmm. recently and that's why it's on my mind, but neither of them seem to be hitting on the same level as Parasite.
2: The the, the Triangle of Sadness is nowhere near as impressive as Parasite. It lacks the. It is trying to be what it is too hard, and Parasite feels um, very uh, organically a more impressive film. Like th- there is not the effort there to to work at it. Yeah, it's just it it it, seems, it happens.
0: It seems like he's there's so much effort in both yes. the Triangle of Sadness and the Menu.
2: It is much better than the menu, though. Like I yeah. think, I think the menu They're both is this. so
0: constructed. I think that's yeah. the
2: effort that I'm feeling. The menu feels like a play. It feels literally right. like it could be done as a stage play. Right. Whereas Triangle of Sadness is a movie, and a movie that is clearly trying to be more visually expansive and more. Um, Interesting in the set pieces that it constructs, I think, and I think more successful in that. So I think both the menu and triangle of sadness are very constructed films, but I think Triangle of Sadness pulls off what it's trying to accomplish much more effectively than the menu, but is not as effortless as Parasite. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. Um Matt, did you want to comment or ask anything about the movie before we move on?
1: No, I'm I, I'm curious, but not curious enough. Like I don't know if I'll see it just just based on the things. I mean, the square also has not moved me to to see it. Force majeure, because I saw the trailer of the remake revealed so much. I hear it's a great movie, but the I remake just like, is not, like get the the kind of is what great. happens. Yeah. The remake yeah. is I've heard is terrible, and not just too soon, but but poorly done i do want to see force majeure but i i i don't know about i can't which,
2: speak to um, force majeure the square i think is is probably a good film if you if you can get all the way through it but take some effort i will say on triangle of sadness there are some some parts of that film that are uh very worthy of of putting into the like timeless quality of filmmaking I mean, the, the, okay. there's this. There's a scene where Woody Harrelson and this Eastern European, like I don't know what what does he own. Wait, does he fun own, like, fact about
0: this guy. F- fun fact about this guy. He is the Russian. All he plays a Russian oligarch in Triangle of Sadness, and he also plays the Russian. Is he Russian
2: olig- or is he a East? I think he's like Serbian or something, right?
0: Uh. I, think I thought Russian.
2: he was, like, not...
0: Okay, all right. He oh, might oh, not I, be Russian, but I'm pretty sure his ties are to Russia within the movie, fair enough. like his company. Fair enough. But maybe not. Either way, he plays some Eastern European billionaire type, possibly Russian oligarch, and he also, this is the fun fact, he also plays a Russian oligarch in the movie 2012. <laughs> the movie 2012, John Cusack? John Cusack, yeah. He is that yeah, guy, yeah. the really obnoxious huh. dude, but the the horrible kid's... But listen, this
2: guy and Woody Harrelson have a drink-off, like Raiders of the Lost Ark-style drink-off that leads to philosophical discussion that is worthy of uh, watching many, many times. It's just – it's that enjoyable. And there are all these, these, these moments. There's all these moments. Like they can be a minute to two minutes long where something extremely profound is happening. And you realize this is brilliant. It's just that okay. all of it's stitched together, and the stitching together is not as effortless as Parasite. It's, it is, it's, it's, it's definitely it's a t- movie that's not a sum of its parts. Yeah, it's 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 like if you took Babel, and yeah. you were it was like a little bit less coherent, but also more impressive in its components. That's kind of what Triangle of Sadness is. Like every component is more impressive than any component of Babel, but it's
0: not as stitched together as the film. Totally, I, I think it's a great choice. Now let's move on to Matt. What's your number two? Decision to Leave. Great
1: pick. Now this is a film I vaguely remembered having come out, but I was on a plane and scrolling through everything that was there. It was really the only movie I wanted to see. I this is um, to give people some some information about where this movie came from, what language it's in. Yeah, tell um, us about it. This, yeah, this is uh, Park Chan Wook's latest movie. So Park Chan Wook, probably best known for Old Boy and 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 the Vengeance trilogy. Uh, people usually, a lot of people don't necessarily know of the first and third in that thematic trilogy. Um, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Lady Vengeance um other movies that actually have been remade stoker i think was remade yeah. um in hollywood uh more recently he did the handmaiden and he directed the little drummer girl uh le carré uh miniseries which i didn't realize um that kind of i was excited about you know, i think it michael shannon it had uh florence Pugh. it had um someone else who's his major who's I'm, I'm leaving out oh alexander skarsgård um but I think it, you know, it didn't, wasn't particularly well reviewed. I, so I didn't, I think it was so a good park. Chan-wook. I think it
0: just went by the wayside for some reason. Yeah. Did you, have you, did you see it or I didn't see it? I just, I heard it was actually pretty good. Uh, I, oh. it just was totally mismarketed. marketed. I guess. I don't know. I, for some reason was sure. completely overlooked.
1: Yeah. I, I think, I mean, it wasn't, yeah. Anyway, Park Chan, Wook. I really only seen old boy that that's it. Um, And old boy, it's more of a sort of—I mean, it's really stylized, um, interesting, twisty, but I think relies heavily on shock value. Um, This film, decision to leave—I don't want to give too much away—but it's a noir. Um, It's—it's a you know, there's basically a homicide detective central character um a mysterious death and kind of his relationship with the widow not relationship to like but like the beginning to investigate the circumstances of her husband's death the film experiences a lot of some tonal shifts i don't want to give too much away but there there's some very very unique pacing that i think really works it ends up be starting from a pretty basic noir premise and feel to exploring a lot of different things in terms of depth of the characters who are on screen and also even kind of international relations entanglements, but on a human level. So something that comes out in the beginning of the film is the, the, the widow is a Chinese refugee in South Korea. And she's, she's played by a, a famous Chinese actress, Tang Wei who um, became famous through Ang Lee's Lust Caution um, that came out about uh, 15 years ago, which is in my top 50 films.
0: Of all time, um, wow.
1: Ang Lee, and maybe in my view, his... Wow, well, man, it's, uh, there's a lot to say. It's his. I think it could be his best film. Really? His best three films for me are Brokeback Mountain, Lust Caution, and... Now I'm talking right. about Ang Lee now, so I've and moved Crouching to Crouching Tiger to, and Crouching Tiger. Right. Um all very different movies. Um Lost Caution is an amazing film just about everything. But, you know, I've I've said positive things about that and um Eyes Wide Shut in this podcast. People are probably <laughs> wondering about why I'm talking about these movies, but Lost Caution is, you know, Eyes Wide Shut, I think it's blown out of proportion in terms of the the sort of sexual explicitness of which I there's quite a lot of nudity, but there's it's not really explicit as was marketed. Well, it's costing is very explicit, but it it makes sense in the film. Of course, people always say
2: that, but I'd so shout out shout out to Life of Pi, just for those okay. only
0: fans. Yeah, and no, Lily's got a, li- got a yeah. lot in it. forgot you made that.
1: But uh, having having Wei in the film is interesting. I, I I didn't realize she became pretty enmeshed in, in Korean cinema as well. Um she has a huge filmography in China. Um, just like the lead, um, male, I have to pull up his name because I don't, re- I actually don't remember, but he is actually in Bong Jun hos memories of murder as one of the suspects. There's a suspect oh, really? they spent quite a bit of time with. He's working in, like he's sit. I, I don't want to give too much away because it's deep into the movie, but a suspect later in the movie with which the, the, the main, um, police have quite a bit of interaction. That man is the lead detective in Decision to Leave.
2: Okay. Um,
1: I mean, uh, I could describe h- him in Memories of Murder more completely, but
2: right. that would give some of that away. Uh, that, I immediately um, recognized him in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd seen that's Memories awesome. of Murder. I didn't recognize him. <laughs> I didn't seen it very recently, so I think that's right. part of why. But it was—it was like his face was immediately recognizable. Right.
1: Park hey ill I, I mean, i I. May not I mean, I'm certainly not pronouncing his name right, but Park Hae il is is that actor. Um, the two leads are are excellent. Um, the film, I mean, I'll say it again, is extremely unique. But I think for Park Chan-Wook, it's actually a subtly done film. And I haven't watched his other films because something like Stoker doesn't seem subtle. It just seems twisty and 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 like shocking for the sake of it. And this film played in that space a little bit and I kept expecting it to kind of go into the old Park chan areas, but instead he chose depth and, 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 um, and, and, and then like human exploration, um, with of course twisty plot, but it, I, I was pleasantly
0: surprised. I will say that he, if you saw the handmaiden, this, the way he structures decision to leave as well as the tone and and the subtlety of it um, wouldn't have been as much of a surprise because yep. that is what the Handmaiden is it's very much a it's kind of like a David uh, a Cronenberg shift of tone um, from what he was known for and I've only seen half of decision to leave so I can't say so yeah, I definitely don't spoil and I ah. can't speak to the whole thing but what I saw was like, Classic master Parchan Wook filmmaking, amazing performances. I like I just have to highlight though some amazing shots. So like so imaginatively okay, so like there there's a scene, there's an interrogation room scene where there've been plenty of, of shots in movies through mirrors and windows. And he does this thing that is very subtle. You might even miss it if you're not paying attention, but he puts the characters in front of a mirror and he puts the camera's focus on the mirror, but is going back and forth between the mirror and the actual people. And then he's racking focus between the two people as they're talking. It's super subtle but is also like incredibly stylish and really adds it's like it's not just for style purposes it really adds to the story and that just sort of encapsulates him for me he just like he has the attention to detail that just elevates something in someone else's hands could could go by the wayside
1: i thought he walked the line a little bit he was kind of experimenting with some I'm trying to some stylized elements that were kind of related to tech in the movie that um at times I was I was a little worried. They almost seemed like it might go into the cheesy or or but it didn't. Um I, I like that he was kind of challenging himself a little bit and trying to do some new things.
0: And the tonal shifts were great. I mean a movie well, just- you just hold on. <laughs> oh, right, right. I'm sure sorry. I'm no, for, I don't
1: want to say too much, but yeah.
0: I'm sure I'm in for a treat because I feel like that's what I always get when I watch this movie. But I mean, both he and Bong can just like in Memories of Murder, as we as we've mentioned, is like incredibly dark and incredibly grim, And then you can just find yourself laughing out loud and i it's like amazing how they do that balance act i don't know (laughs) i do feel
1: like memories of murder influenced this movie a lot but it is a very different film but i just there are a lot of i mean in addition to having a a shared actor one reason i I talked a little about Wei's background is because aaron you you were talking you had a swedish film she and her korean director husband who's not a super well or not as globally famous um they got married on Ingmar Bergman's island in Sweden. Um, so this is a very cinephilic group of directors and, and actors across Korea and China and with a Swedish tie. A I love A triangle of happiness.
2: Yeah. I love that. I, I, I don't have too much more to add. I think you guys covered it, but I, I will say that I, I feel like Park Chan-wook is, is in some way like my Korean version of David Fincher. There's like a, um, um, like old... Old Boy is is like a weird mashup of Fight Club and something else. I'm not sure what. And then um, I, I really enjoyed Handmaiden. I think it's um, an incredibly subtle film and, and very um, sophisticated. It's his his Gone Girl. Um, and And then there's this film that I'm really intrigued by and I want to see – I don't think it's it's come to my streaming services yet, so I think I'm gonna have to, to you know pull the trigger and, and rent it on Apple TV or something. But uh, it, I, I love his films that I've seen. I've only seen two, but the two I've seen have been great. And I am enamored of Korean cinema. I think it's it's something that it it, it presents uh, movies that are culturally specific and yet universal, and I love that. Yeah, Fight Club and Seven I think you did nail it yeah there you go that's right
0: <laughs> David Fincher is actually a really apt comparison I think I think at this point it's pretty well known amongst at least cinephiles and movie buffs or people who just love David Fincher but he like famously said in an interview he believes most audiences are deep down perverts and <laughs> and he, he says it in a much more eloquent way, but also kind of blunt like that, and I love what he means by that. Park Chan Wook is definitely playing on the same. He turns line. that up to eleven. He turns it up to eleven. <laughs> like he final yeah. taps the shit out of that.
1: <laughs> I'm really curious about Handmade, but with the Handmade, but with decision to leave. One thing that put me off a little bit was I really thought he was he turned the dial up a little too much. It's not because I I I'm like gonna be. I don't know the right word is purient or whatever I, about it, or it's just you know, like I think Fincher had a more finely tuned approach with the old boy, um, while really well done in a lot of places. I'm like, okay, well, there's like a gimmicky aspect to uh, to the perversion, um, but Decision to Leave doesn't have gimmicks, and and I feel like he is honing his craft, um,
2: so I do want to see the handmaiden. But let's just admit that there's never been a better 2D fight scene since *Prince of no, Persia*. No,
1: I, there's that, that scene is, is above reproach. Even the squid thing is 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 solid. It's just other things about it. I'm like, okay, guys, <laughs> I've been shocked. I'm shocked, sufficiently shocked.
0: All right, decision to leave is your number two. That was a great, That's right. great choice. We are all we are to our number one our favorite movie of the year. Mine, um, which will come as no surprise to you two, is Top Gun Maverick. I don't know what to say about this movie that hasn't already been said. (laughs) I don't think anyone viewed the first Top Gun, this like sophisticated movie, it's, you know, a, a fun action flick, but like a classic. But this somehow surpassed it not only in its entertainment value, taking it even deeper than that with its characters and its story. It was the first time I felt an old feeling of man, like I walked out of the movie and I was like, man, that's what movies are all about. Like I was in a packed house. People were cheering left and right at almost every scene. I just I had like, I left the theater with a feeling of just pure joy.
2: It brought together old people, young people, right-wingers, left-wingers. Like everybody was happy that Tom Cruise French, was the It day. brought
0: the French
1: to even the French.
2: They loved it. The there you go. French
1: Con. fries. They got 5 cars. minutes.
2: 5 minutes standing, I think. Wow. It's like it's pretty decent. To me it was a throwback to everything that was great about the 1980s in America, which should be reviled but is beloved yes that's perfect yeah that is that is what top gun pulled off
1: i mean you kind of set it up where i have to ask you because you said you regained that feeling so i have to ask you had you lost that love (laughs) and feeling
2: oh that love and feeling I knew this movie was pure 1980s when Tom Cruise like jumped out a window and the little the like girl saw him and he's like oh I was like this is this is just non-modern it's non-modern it is it is set in another era this is this is like next girl and it was a girl next door kind of vibe like this is like not what we see in modern movies and it drew everyone in including people who were young millennials gen z everyone wanted to see it
1: and no one is communicating with modern tools because he yes. had not talked to this woman for like decades, exactly,
2: exactly. Yeah, it's not like, like he like looked her up bells. on face
1: on, on, on Facebook or whatever you know people of their age would <laughs> do, and you know, but he just happened to be at the base. It was like, oh, you exist. I forgot. Like right. we we were deeply in love, and now i have seen you for the first time in so long.
2: Well,
0: we don't brought- know for sure if it's been a long time,
1: but so apparently she's mentioned in the first movie. My mom told me she is. She's the
0: admiral's daughter
1: cruise no i think it was like a perfect it was a perfect sequel um i won't give it more than that uh, i i think it was also per- sorry perfect popcorn movie perfect sequel um and then aaron already through the sh- i don't know if it's shade but what aaron said was basically what i was gonna say it's it it, it and cameron you put it in a, in a way but i think it's just sort of like that general 80s that like myth of the 80s that like feels really good it's just right. pr- like bringing that back but doing so, it better it's like we've honed this like we are, to her, yeah. yeah our myth making we're, we, we're, we'''re we're even better at it now it's amazing to the crazy degree that in like the post um post Trump era and it's not post Trump but you know like post 2016 era all people across the board politically with the exception of some outliers are like I like that I enjoyed that let's you know we 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 won. Who did we beat? I don't know, but we won. (laughs) Who's the mastermind? Is it Chris McQuarrie? Like who? Who? Who had the secrets? Us? I mean, I know it's not just one person, but like these these reboots and sequels have been tried so many times, and like I get James Cameron can do it, but but this is not James Cameron.
2: To me, one of the most impressive feats that this movie pulled off was including the Iceman and not doing it in a way that was cheesy. Yeah, yeah. That was really difficult to pull off, yeah. especially considering Val Kilmer's current health situation. Like, that, could, it, it could have been um, <laughs> Star Wars-esque. So tacky. In the way they handled someone. Yeah, tacky. And and the way they handled someone who was like, um, who died. I think we could say we could say because she died in real life. Yeah, I mean, it just it. Well, (laughs) I guess my point my point is that there is a there is a tactful way of doing this, and they did it. And yet, the movie is not really all about tact. It's not really all about like, um, being sophisticated and subtle. But it pulled it off. At, at every step of the way it was like it's still going to be a great film but it's also going to be tactful and there's going to be subtleties that that you know they, they they handle delicately and appropriately
1: and it launched i don't even know who this guy is but the hangman hangman's career he's that guy's appearing in trailers i've seen
0: it. who is Lin that Glenn powell that's my dude he is amazing he is about to be an a-lister He's got like a long long time coming out with Sidney Sweden. He's about Mm -hmm. to be big. I mean, he's already in so many things in supporting roles um, and he's great in all of them. But yeah, this was a breakout for him and he's going to be big. He's going to be a leading man, I think. Yeah. So Top Gun Maverick is my number one. Um, Aaron, what's your number one?
2: Yeah, I'm going to go back to my roots with number one and, and, Pull out, hit the road, which sounds like a buddy comedy in the U.S., but is actually a foreign film um, from modern Iranian cinema. And um, you know, I, I think Iranian cinema has these like titans of 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 film. You know, this uh, figure Jafar Panahi is a uh, hugely influential director um, and his son directed this film, Pana Panahi. And it, you know, I mean, in the sort of Sophia Coppola st- sort of standard, you're like wondering whether this is kind of navel gazing. <laughs> is this going to be like some artist's child trying to stretch the limits of artistic impressionism in a way that's not going to be appealing. I also watched this on an airplane. I don't think I would have watched it had it not been available on an airplane. And, and that's coming from someone that really likes Iranian cinema. Um, so I checked it out and it blew me away. This was a touching film that, um, pulled off some pretty impressive, Tonal shifts that you wouldn't have expected. So this film starts out as this um, this kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm going to explain a little bit about it because I think it's probably less known than some of the other films on our list. But this was a film that um, really focused on a family's road trip and the the interplay between. Um, the parents and the children on this road trip. And you're not really sure what's going on. So for a large portion of this road trip, you as an audience are left scratching your head about like, what is this all about? And it, and I will admit that I think if you're unaware of the political dynamic in Iran, you probably would have felt that way all the way to the end of the film. So the film like doesn't give you a lot of clues as to what the reason is for this strange road trip to seemingly nowhere and what is the goal. But the relationships and, and the, the powerful feeling that, of a loss that's ever present in this, even though it hasn't occurred yet, is the overriding sentiment. And there's this child actor that, is, that steals the show. This kid is phenomenal. And, I mean, clearly the adult actors, which include the, the father, the mother, and actually one of the, the sons, who is also sort of an adult actor, a young adult actor, are all uh, amazing actors. They, they do fantastic work. But this child is just precocious and um, and and pulls on your heartstrings constantly. Um, and the film ends up revolving around this this character, even though the, some of the most heartwarming scenes or um, gut wrenching scenes as well don't include him. It, he's always there in the background, and it's this like s- this representation of innocence in this film where it's all about. Um, uh, the loss of innocence and the loss of this kind of like, um, uh, comfort w- within one's family. So, uh, without I don't want to totally spoil the film because I feel like it's worth people seeing. But the film is is a blend of coming of age and loss of innocence in this really difficult environment with uh, beautiful scenes that, that also, uh, veer into the magical realism, which is that tonal shift that, that is, that is unexpected. And, and really, uh, while it caught me off guard, it also was perfect for what this film was trying to accomplish. So I, I had no expectations whatsoever. I watched this film thinking it was going to be, um, Pretty, pretty, you know, run of the mill. And honestly, two-thirds of the way through, I was like, man, that's kind of good, but like I really don't know where this is going. But it finished with such a strong end that it was worthy of being my top film of the year and and is worth any audience seeing. And even if you have to kind of do a little bit of research to figure out why this is significant. And meaning, like, what is politically going on in, in Iran? It's worth it. I'm sold.
0: Yeah. I, I, this one completely went by me without notice. I, I, I had no idea this was even a movie. Um, but that's a strong recommendation. And I'm going to have to check it out definitely because of my Iranian roots as well. So, yeah, that sounds, that sounds great.
1: I, I would like to mine these iranium deposits
2: at some point. You'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll find uranium it: uranium or lithium, one of the two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My top film was, you know, one of the front runners for, for the Academy Awards. Um, the Banshees of Inna Um Martin McDonough. Um, I don't have too much to add just because I think, you know, a lot of people have talked about this movie, but we had uh, the three of us for years um, been talking about his films particularly um, inbrusion and, and and three billboards um, I've seen seven psychopaths I don't I don't think Aaron's seen it. I don't know if I've seen have it. you seen, you've, uh, Cameron, have seen it, camera but we never talked about it um all three of those movies are not focused and tight like this one um, in my view uh, mark McDonough we, we we all said this before I think we all wanted to see him focus on, you know, Ireland or, or 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 elsewhere in the British Isles, somewhere he's familiar with, and and I think this was really the setting. We there so many, there have been so many films about, you know, any between 1920 Ireland and the year 2000. Sort of that eight that 80 year period is so well covered, particularly in like 1980. 80s through early 2000s cinema, or at least the 80s and 90s. Um, but this film, I think, has so much depth because you're zeroing in on. Well, it, it, it's very specific to the place. This 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 this, this tiny island um, in in a small country with 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 a lot of parochial issues. Yet that small town dynamic and human carnage and conflict that unfolds part of it could happen anywhere and i think that makes it universal and interesting to explore but it's so particular to the place as well that it has like an authentic and 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 beautiful feel um and just a company with 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 great photography and um Incredible acting in Colin Farrell. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the whale, so I don't know um, how he compares to Brendan Fraser. But I, I mean, he he just nailed it. It was an incredible performance from him, and he's not done yet. He's he's got a lot of great performances ahead of him. I think
0: he'll get his Oscar. Yeah, he will get his Oscar. I'm sure. I, it, I I'll start with that. It's uh, a good segue. Colin Farrell's performance is amazing, similar to that of Kate Blanchett uh, and Michelle Yeoh. I don't want to not give Michelle Yeoh her credit. No, I thought she
1: should have gotten yeah,
0: yeah. The, all three of those of those people are creating a character that is wholly original. Um, of course, it's on the page, but they are bringing. Their skill set to the table, and that's very different than I know. Brendan Fraser's role is, from what I understand, an original character. Um, but I'm just I don't know. I, I, not to take a stray shot at Brendan Fraser, I'm just tired of the academy seemingly only wanting to recognize either impressions of real people or. <laughs> Actors who are pushing themselves to crazy extremes, whether it's fighting a bear or putting on a ton of weight. Um, I'm sure his performance is great, but Colin Farrell is just so amazing in this movie. The subtlety of all of his emotions, the various emotions that he displays on his face is just like I, I, I can't I physically can't even do that. Um, so that in of itself is just impressive, um, but yeah, the movie is just—it's classic McDonough. So funny, so touching, so moving. Uh, and Carrie Condon also got a highlight. Carrie Condon, she is phenomenal. I wish she had won the yeah. best supporting actress. I do too.
2: I, I feel like it's a—it's a modern Greek tragedy, and it is. Um, a, such a small film that you you get to spend a ton of time with these characters, each of the the significant characters. and the characters are so amazing. Um, they're they're so rich and I I mean, I know we've talked about um, a, a few of the characters, but how about that donkey? How about that Jenny. donkey? Holy gorgeous. cow. That donkey was amazing. Incredible and honestly, don't forget the dog. That dog no, played, I the dog. Oh, played yeah, the its role incredibly well. And the um, cow. <laughs> but, but jokes aside, McDonough's masterful. Um, as you mentioned, I think Matt, he's most masterful when he's in his wheelhouse. I loved In Bruges. I saw that yeah. movie, and I thought this guy's amazing. He's going places. And yeah. then it felt like years passed. I didn't see Seven Psychopaths. I don't know if I even made the connection. I mean, years pass when you don't see the movies, but yeah. <laughs> well, but there, am I am I wrong in saying that he's only had like five movies? And, and no, like not
1: five, four movies. I think it was a longer time between Seven. No, it was it was. Um, it was about the same amount of time, I think,
2: between both. But it's a long time between both. Between uh, both. My, my, my point was just he seemed to not, not be as present in my movie-going experience as it's other He writes all do. this stuff from scratch.
1: They're totally, totally out of his mind. And no one, It's like
2: full auteur. I mean, uh, I know you love him, and I, and I will give you the full glory of, of McDonough goodness. But I just I, I, it, I thought he was going to be, be this kind of like sudden success. And instead, he's been this slow burn success. He's been this building to a crescendo. And I think three billboard three billboards was this like attempt to demonstrate his prowess. And it was so amazing, it just didn't quite understand its subject matter. And Banshees fully understood its subject matter. So yeah. like everything that was was missing in three billboards was present in Banshees. And I and I ate it up, and I wished that it would continue. <laughs> like I wanted to keep seeing it. Like it, it ended. I will say that it ended, and like I wasn't ready for the ending.
0: Like I like cut to credits. So I was like, oh, you just wanted um, to keep hanging out with the characters. Yeah, I wanted
2: to keep hanging out. I also I also felt like like it was a perfect time to end, and yet it was unexpected. <laughs> like, right. There was like a, a quality of like there's surely one more scene left in this that I, I haven't seen. Um,
0: well, I think that's, that's just life. That's life. really. And I think that's a testament to the way he ends it. He yes. was willing to push the back, the, you know, push the envelope on subverting your expectations. And totally. And, you know, I don't think that's a revelatory thing to say about the movie, but, you know, we're so conditioned to, to, you know, follow up, usual character arc or a usual three-act structure. And when you deviate from that, even just a little, it can be very startling.
2: Yeah. And there were these moments... Sorry, I was just going to say there's moments in the film where he does an amazing job of um, taking these otherwise pretentious or, or sophisticated characters and then leveling them and and doing so in a way that that is humanizing at the same time that is brilliant and it felt very very well timed
1: it turns out he has a rhythm um like a pretty like a fairly precise rhythm so his movies are all four or five years apart and in between each of them he's written a play so he's busy and his brother is has also done four movies with not as similar not as not as intensive a rhythm, but every two to five years. It's interesting. I, I don't know his older brother, John Michael McDonough, um, and he was the screenwriter. His older brother did write was the screenwriter for Ned Kelly, the 2003 film. So it's just it's I don't know what happened in their house when they grew up, but it's just um, these are writers of stories and, and, and Benjy's a Anna Sheeran, I think is. More complex, better done than a movie I actually like better. His brother does Calvary, which is a good companion piece with the same one of the same leads. It's just an interesting exploration of kind of like a that, that would be a good doubleheader. Yeah, it would be, because that that character is quite different. And it's just like sort of different like a like a a jaded path versus like a anyway, it's it's interesting.
0: I think we should just review our top three. So I'll go first. My number three is Tar, directed by Todd Field, starring Kate Blanchett. My number two is Puss in Boots, uh, voiced by none other than Antonio Banderas. And my number one is Top Gun Maverick. Tom Cruise, man, Tom Cruise.
2: Well, um, my my top three, um, in reverse order, are Avatar, The Way of Water, Needs No Introduction, uh, Triangle of Sadness, a Ruben Ostlund, Ostlund film, um, and then Hit the Road, a probably unfamiliar film to most people, but worthy of a watch, um, a Panah Panahi uh, flick. Uh,
1: my third was Avatar, A Way of Water. Um, my second was Decision to Leave, directed by Park Chen wook with with Tong Wei and, and Park Ha-il, um, or Ha-il, making it sound like a different language than Korean. Um and uh, third and first <laughs> the third one I'm saying and my favorite film of the year Banshees of Innesheeran d- written and directed by Mark McDonough and of course starring Colin Farrell Brennan Gleeson and Kerry and Condon and-, and Barry Q
0: well alright we have officially done our first best of a year podcast I think Started, it was our uh, best best of but you mentioned Banshees of Innesheeran winning best picture in another year and i i don't think you're wrong and just before we sign off i think it's only fitting to discuss the oscars especially since they just happened and we'll keep it brief and i'll start off with a pre-direct question do you guys think they got the best picture correct um and if not who would you have wanted to win amongst the nominees not a movie that was not nominated i'll save that for later but of the nominees if you think everything everywhere all at once should not have won which should have
1: my my first answer is though it wasn't my favorite of the year it was probably my fourth um if not my fifth um i think they got it right i i i so that's the answer to your first question i i should say i had no problems um and i felt good about it whereas in the last several, there, there, uh, the last five years, I've maybe felt good once or twice
2: about Best Picture. And this is one of the times.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Aaron, what about yourself?
2: I think they got it right. Also agree with Matt. It wasn't my, my favorite film, but I think it deserved all the honors it got.
0: Uh, with the exception of one. Oh, which one is that?
2: Best Supporting Actress, but I think everybody knows that.
0: Oh, right, right. Yes. That was kind of a curveball. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I I don't want to take anything away from everything ever I want. It is a great movie. I really enjoyed myself. I wish Top Gun Maverick would have won, but I have no complaints about everything winning. Were there, I, you know, you've already hinted at Jamie Lee Curtis um, were there any notable surprises or, or moments that you guys would like to discuss about the show? I know y'all didn't watch it, but maybe any awards that surprised you?
2: I think uh, I was surprised Triangle of Sadness didn't get a nom. I thought I it nom- would have... It got nominated. It, it was nominated. For, for Best Picture?
0: Yeah, it was. I think it was nominated for
2: both. Yeah, yeah. it was. I'll pull up the list, but
0: I'm more positive Fair
2: enough. You can see how detached I was from
0: this Oscars. I I will say though, decision to leave, not getting at least an international nomination was shocking. That is, yeah, but I I could see why because it is it
1: is very unique, and Mm. that's all I want to say. I mean, I can see how I think it's a real it could be a real puzzler um, for people, and not in the way that like Memories of Murder. I don't know, Memories of Murder's got a nomination, but that was a different time. When Memories of Murder. I could see people just not liking it because of what it is. But I think most critics watching that movie would be like, wow. Wow. But with Decision to Leave, I could see some people not not being happy with the overall film. So I, I but but I think it was
2: great. No, it's fair. The the the, the Oscars were definitely a bigger thing this year. It felt bigger yeah. even though I didn't watch it. It felt like more people were talking about it and it was more on the radar than it had been in recent memory. And I felt good, good about that. I felt like yeah. that, that like tracked with cinema going experience and like the trajectory that we were experiencing come out of COVID and that felt good.
1: I, I'm looking at the nomination list. I've asked a couple questions and cause I haven't seen these movies. Yeah. Um, one is Elvis. Why um, did that happen? <laughs> just, at, at, just Because of the golden globes, the golden globes as well. I mean, I haven't seen it, but everything I've heard, I mean, just like, I think didn't Tom Hanks get a Razzie or at least close, come close to it. And then yeah. um, I
2: mean, I understand he's not the lead. I I think on Elvis, there have been a lot of folks who've told me they absolutely love it. I have not seen the film, so I have no comment on it whatsoever. I'm not a huge Boz Lorman fan. I've seen one film of his that I really love and admittedly, I haven't seen any other films by him, but they've all uh, screamed, don't watch me. And so I haven't, um, Elvis it looks overly stylized to me and it feels like something that, um, is not not worthy of of i mean it just it just feels a little bit like oh oh, wait wait i did see gatsby was by boss lorman right Mm -hmm. yeah i could see three quarters of that movie and i and three quarters like that's a quite a time investment and i didn't finish the film like i did that's it just felt so wastefully stylized
1: see and i i like gatsby so maybe maybe i'd like elvis i don't know maybe i would like elvis
0: maybe i despised it (laughs) yeah well okay we got we got to wrap this up so let's let's end this with our most anticipated movies for this year um aaron you want to go first
2: sure i as a lifelong indiana jones fan i want to say indiana jones 5 but i'm not going to so instead way of
0: saying two movies
2: Instead, I'm going with <laughs> Spaceman. Spaceman.
0: Well, I don't even know what that is. What, what is Spaceman? That Man? is
2: the Johann Rank film that has Adam Sandler starring in it, which is oh. absolutely gripping my mind because ever since Uncut Gems, I've felt like Adam Sandler is um, the hidden gem in Hollywood. <laughs> and um, I, what have we Have we seen anything from Johann Rank since? Chernobyl. Um, I don't think we've seen anything. This nope. is his big. This is his big next project. And the other person associated with Chernobyl is killing it with Last of Us. Yeah. So if Johan Rank pulls this off, this could be spectacular. It's got Paul Dano in it. It's got Kerry oh. Mulligan in it.
0: Wow. It just looks
2: like a really fantastic opportunity to, I don't know, explore something that Gravity couldn't. <laughs> And I know we've, we've <laughs> talked about gravity, so I. I, I don't, but I, I, I want to see this film. It, Where it did you looks, hear about it? You've fun. done your homework. I, I this is the first time hearing of it. So I, I, I've been keeping track on um, Adam Sandler and Johann Rink, and and this film popped up on my my letterbox like most anticipated films, and I was like. This is awesome, you know. I I also heard that Adam Sandler is at some point in the not too distant future doing another Safdie Brothers film, so that that's, got me excited. Yeah, that's... But that's not 2023. So Spaceman, I've, I, you know, I'm sure the Tom Cruise Doug Lyman, Spaceman film will be great too. But this is more <laughs> interesting.
1: Matt, what about you? Oh, there's so many. Okay, I'm going to say two things, but I'm going to you get want around to say the... Indiana
0: Jones, but you're not going to. No,
1: no, I'm going to say one movie, <laughs> but I'm going to say. There is a week, there is an eight, an 8-day eight period in July when three movies I really want to see come out.
0: Oh, I think I All know at once. What I mean, are. two
1: one day and then one the week before, and it's going to be out of control. Just star-studded, action-packed and anyway, you know, timely. But oh, uh, we have um what I'm going to say that I want to see that I'm excited about as I'm stalling because I forgot what I was going to say. You're fabulous. is Because <laughs> I was trying to cheat by talking about the three movies without naming them. Um, all
0: right. You're trying to remember the title of Barbie. I'm trying to remember.
1: Barbie. No, no. that's <laughs> I, That may be one of the ones coming out the week that I'm interested in.
2: But it's there's actually... explosive like a nuclear weapon.
1: No, there is... Was- oh, man. Yeah, well, that's the other one. But then there's another one that I was about to just... Drop on you guys.
0: And I, I totally don't know what the third movie you're is. In it head killers is.
1: of I mean, Yes, yeah, the killer. No, it's the oh. killer. it's Fincher, <laughs> David Fincher, it's David Fincher, the killer. I'm curious to see if Mike Fossbender, Michael Fassbender can make a comeback.
0: Yeah, is that so? That's your that's your most anticipated.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many good ones.
0: Yeah, coming. I mean, this is gonna be quite the year. Mine is Oppenheimer. Um that was the you guys uh, know giant
2: surprise giant surprise yeah you guys know
0: I <laughs> lost Christopher Nolan but I mean Jesus this year I could have picked there's like just a plethora of ridiculous movies coming out I mean yeah, who knows maybe none of them will be as good as what we expect but I mean we have a Fincher movie a Nolan movie a Villeneuve movie Top a well. Johan Rank movie
1: what was Megalopolis um, this year? Coppola's this That's year. That's out of control. Coppola's is this. Okay, the okay. A, I'm and anticipating have, that more.
0: Yeah. We have Maestro, yeah. Cooper's return. I mean so many phenomenal directors I think, making I think amazing, amazing projects.
2: And, so and golden week many, oh. and it costs many generations. I mean, I think okay. this is also gonna be um, what's the what's the the flick? Um, who's what's Bo afraid of or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Aria uh, movie. I think Nosferatu is going to come out sometime this year <laughs> with Robert Eggers. So I think there's this like, this is cross this generation. I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I think they're filming it, it this year.
1: Disney's oh, doing a Haunted enough. Mansion remake. I mean, this ridiculous. Like <laughs> Which,
0: at- Wait. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for that. And I don't know if you're being sarcastic. The trailer is actually kind of good
1: the cast the cast looks great so i think
2: it, it better go be good. watch
0: the trailer it's kind of charming
2: i have seen it and i want to show my kids but i'm not sure if it's going to scare them or not but i do right, think it right. is i mean there's there's definitely this kind of quirky charm to it and i you know i, I am i wrong didn't eddie murphy star didn't. in didn't no, you're damn this. right he
0: did yeah so this I is like a classic I, from my childhood and this is from your childhood is, 20 years ago
2: 20 years ago right yeah there is a there is a blaxploitation quality to the modern film that's coming out of like we're going to tackle this as a film that's not it's very it's very much in the tongue-in-cheek space of haunted mansion without being you know it's not like a um um it's it's not trying screen. to be like the other live action disney films. It is like we're going to have fun with this. Let's just sure. like let's It's definitely quirkier. Ve- very quirky and very yeah. much in the like we're going we're going way out there, we're just going to explore it all and have fun with it.
1: Totally. I'm going to watch that trailer right after this. But you what should've. I didn't realize when I said that thing about the week, I didn't know that Oppenheimer and Barbie Are coming out one week after Mission Impossible 7.
0: That's what it was. It is a wild time. Yeah. I knew there was a third movie. A lot of cannibalism going on there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, guys. We got to wrap this up. Is I hammering any of
2: that?
0: (laughs) God, hope not. Um, All right. So there you have it, folks. Our best of 2022. We just did our top threes. If you're interested in our top 10, we will be posting that onto our Twitter um, as well as our Instagram. Uh, You can check us out there at Tinseltown Thunderdome. Until next time, thanks for listening.